the Vegas Golden Knights celebrate their first Stanley Cup championship, but what does the offseason look like for them? The Devils re-signed Jesper Bratt, but what will they do about Timo Meyer and the Minnesota Wild try to hold on to their important players without a lot of cap room? All that and more on today's Locked On NHL podcast. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome, everybody, to the Monday edition of the Locked On NHL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to thank everyone for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, so you can get new episodes as soon as they drop. And we are now also available on SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just do a search for Locked On NHL. Well, the Stanley Cup has been awarded, and of course it goes to the Vegas Golden Knights, first time in their brief franchise history. Chris Golick of Locked On Vegas Golden Knights is with us to talk about that. And Chris, what did did it meet the anticipation when it actually happened? No. Um, the only reason I, I had to think for a second there, it, it was, and this isn't a knock on Florida or anything like that, but the game being in that type of situation, it didn't have, like, you obviously, the game was out of reach come about halfway through the second period. It was pretty evident. And don't get me wrong, I had a moment with my kid when it happened, but it wasn't like, you know, I grew up a Blackhawks fan, so it wasn't like, you know, the Philadelphia situation where they score in overtime. It wasn't like the Boston situation with the 17 seconds. And even when the Blackhawks knocked off the Tampa Bay Lightning, the last game, it was game six. It was a 2 nothing game. So maybe saying it didn't meet the expectation isn't fair, but it didn't have that anxiety, which is I'm okay with this. Let's be clear. I'm okay with this. <laughs> but we didn't have that anxiety of watching the final 30 seconds Uh you know, watched Marc-Andre Fleury make all those saves like against Detroit, you know, what, a decade ago now, however long ago that was, and and that type of stuff, I guess. So not a lot of drama at the end, basically. Oh, no. The only drama was where are we going to go to, how close can we get to the ice, and how can we how can we make our way down there? And we ended up walking right down there, actually, about 10 minutes after the after the big uh, the photo happened. <laughs> how was it seeing that celebration on the ice and – Seeing you know the players passing the puck, uh, the cup around. I mean that had to be pretty exciting. I saw Alec Martinez hand the Stanley Cup to Jonathan Quick, and both fellows were in a Golden Knights jersey. I, I don't know how to describe that. I don't know like how to put that moment into words. And jokingly, I asked Jonathan Quick during the media sessions. Uh, feels like forever ago now. I said, hey, Jonathan, this season's going exactly the way you drew it up, isn't it? And his response was, yep, exactly. Like, he played it right back. The timing was good. Um, Just watching all of that, it was nice. It was, you know, it was special to see Jack Eichel. Um, You're in that area, so you've obviously heard a lot of the Eichel chirps and things like that. And I enjoyed, uh, for lack of a and I got nothing against Buffalo, but the people that have something against Eichel, it felt good knowing they were throwing up in their mouth multiple times watching. <laughs> and and this is only the people that don't like Eichel. If there's people that support Eichel, fine. But 
anyone outside of Vegas that, I mean, McDavid, or excuse me, Eichel got a cup before McDavid. Let's just leave that there for a second. McDavid's the better player. I know, guys, it's okay. It's okay. But still, you know, Eichel has a cup before McDavid. Um, watching Aiden Hill get his moment, watching players like Kessel lift his third cup, uh, our injured goalies, Logan Thompson, Lorraine Brassois. It was just a very special atmosphere. I kept telling my son, Christopher, who was at the game with me, which was an, an honor to share that moment, to just try and sit back and relax and enjoy this because this is going to fly by. This night is going to fly by if we end up winning this thing. And I feel guilty because it's a blur to me. It is an absolute blur. My memories, and I was not drinking anything or doing anything. I just, you know, it's just hard to process all of this. You know, the first time in my life being a 42-year-old, been dying to see a home team live in person win one of the major four sports. And obviously hockey is my favorite sport. So, you know, it was a long story longer. It's all blurry. It's all kind of strange. How, what was your impression of the celebration, the parade, uh, the way Vegas sort of put on, you know, commemorating this win? Um, the people I talked to that were down there have nothing but the highest of marks to offer. The people who stayed home, like myself, we got gypped a little bit because the TV coverage was atrocious. And I don't want to get too deep into that, but it was tough, really getting that final bow, you know, on the present, if you will, if you watched it at home. Uh, for the people that were there in the celebration, they have the best of stories. If you were right up on the rail where the players did stop, get off the buses, bring the Stanley Cup, let the let the fans touch it. Zach Whitecloud running down Las Vegas Boulevard, losing both of his sandals and just running barefoot on the strip. Uh, <laughs> me and Tony talked about this on Lockdown VGK today. I just can't put myself in the mindset of these athletes and what it must feel like. I mean, they got to own the Las Vegas strip for, you know, five hours last night. They closed the strip down and second time in our history. Well, technically the third time, I guess, if we go back to uh, the rebels when they won the basketball championship right, a long, right. long time ago, and then obviously the Las Vegas aces, but I cannot put myself in the mindset of, you know, what these kids, you know, I'm sounding like an, like an old fogey here, but what these <laughs> kids must feel like uh, having that moment. Um, William Carlson, I don't know if you're going to lead me into that one, but I'll, I'll take us there anyway. Uh, William Carlson certainly had a speech for the ages, and I don't know what it is um, about the Arizona Coyotes living rent-free in the heads of the Golden Knights. If you recall, Bruce Cassidy made a comment. Uh, VGK had a bad playoff game, and the comment was, oh, we're not going to beat the Arizona Coyotes in January, insert date here with a game like that, let alone the Oilers or the Stars, whichever game it was. And then friggin' William Carlson decides to remind everyone that we teed off on Arizona game one of our first ever regular season game. So I don't know what's up. They got a thing against Arizona, apparently. A rivalry in the making, I guess. What no, it's not. It's not. I know. I know. <laughs> what, maybe. What, maybe. What, what do we expect this summer? I know there are going to be some changes. What, what are some of the things you're anticipating? We got eight and a half million dollars right now, assuming Robin Leonard does not have a contract that hits the BGK books, LTIR, whatever clause that can get us out of the contract, a possible trade, whatever. And, and this is not assuming we take the path of a buyout. Um, if a path of a buyout is taken, it'll cost us a quarter million this season, 2.2 the next, 1.7 and change the third and fourth season. So 
they can afford it, but obviously if there's a different path to getting rid of Leonard, assuming he's unable to play and whatever quirky stuff gets worked out there. So the most notable players that something needs to be figured out for Aiden Hill, four or five million dollars a year. I just don't see a path to keeping Aiden Hill. I'm okay with that. No disrespect to Aiden Hill, but Golden Knights are pretty good at finding these diamonds in the rough, these two, two and a half million dollar players, goalies. So, you know, get Laurent Brasroff, probably the first number is going to be one and a half, something like that. And Yuri Patera could be the third goalie or however that that tree shakes out, so to speak. Uh, the next key free agent is going to be Ivan Barbashev. Rumors have it. Uh, VGK might get a sign and trade out of that one. I, would, I wouldn't mind that because we'll get some assets in return, whatever it may be. Otherwise, he's going to walk for pro- probably in the area of five million at you know six, seven, eight years is what he's commanding out there, which I don't understand because he scored sixty points once in his career, dating back to twenty seventeen, and now he wants to get paid like he's going to get sixty points every single year. He might or he might not. Uh, not to knock on William Carlson, unfortunately, but uh, William Carlson got paid based off of based off of a career year and. BGK still is owed a lot of money in the last four years, in my opinion, from William Carlson. Yeah, well, it will certainly be an interesting offseason in Vegas. But for now, enjoy the moment uh, as as Vegas gets its first ever Stanley Cup. Chris, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? Yep, I'm a TD Chris G on Twitter, like touchdown Chris G. Uh, same spot you can find Locked On NHL anywhere you find your podcast, Locked On Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, YouTube. Still uh, driving our subscribers up right now, really working hard to keep that train rolling. So check us out on YouTube and uh, see what kind of shenanigans me and Tony are up to. It's always something interesting. Never a dull moment on Locked On Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, All right. no. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, congratulations again to VGK. That was so much fun. The party's just starting. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. Well, it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, Confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the show the host of Locked On Devils, Trey Matthews. And Trey, already a bit of an eventful offseason for the Devils with Jesper Bratt re-signing. Your thoughts on the deal and whether it was a good bargain uh, for the Devils? I say it was a good bargain for, for the Devils because I think the ultimate goal was to make sure that Bratt's annual salary was under Jack Hughes' threshold, which was $8 million. And they were able to do that by a million dollars and half of the money he'll be making is from signing bonuses. So uh, it's been a long time coming because this was the third time in the last four seasons in which Brad did not have a deal lined up for next year. And 
Uh, Jack Hughes was also expressing his frustrations uh, during the exit interview, saying, like, look, if you really want to uh, come back to New Jersey, you need to get it done. You can't just say you want to come back. You you, you got to uh, put the money, your money where your mouth is. And the million-dollar question that you asked, Gil, or I guess the $63 million uh, question in this case, was it a good bargain? Yes, it was. And now there's still enough uh, room to re-sign Timo Meyer. I recently spoke with Tom Fitzgerald, and he said that the goal is to re-sign Meyer to an eight-year extension. But worst comes to worst, the Devils will own his rights for one more season. However, once that season is up, because now since uh, the arbitration process is occurring, uh, that his qualifying offer goes from $10 million to $8.5 million because the team – recently filed an arbitration for Meyer's contract. And obviously the hearings don't happen until late July or early August, but what the devils are doing in this case, they're buying themselves some time and they're making that qualifying offer just a bit cheaper, but that's worst case scenario. And obviously you don't want Meyer to become a, a UFA come next off season. Now, another deal that the devils were able to do was they traded away their longest tenured player in Damon Severson to the Columbus blue jackets for a, third round pick. Now it was sad to see Severson go, but it had to be done because his original contract with the devils, it was $25 million total. And now with the, with the blue jackets, it's $50 million total. Now this is a weak free agent market and Severson would have been one of the more sought after players. So Fitzgerald did the second sign and trade in NHL history. He pulled the rabbit out of his hat and he was able to get something out of Severson. It was a third-round pick. Maybe if they would have traded him last year or the year before that, they could have gotten something a little bit more. But I'm glad that Fitzgerald was able to get something out of Severson as opposed to nothing because the Devils hold his right – well, hypothetically would have held his rights until July 1st when noon hit. And now, of course, he will be playing for a division rival, so there will be a little extra juice the first time the Blue Jackets and the Devils – face off this coming season yeah i mean for the blue jackets i think it's a solid pickup on their end because i I know you guys have talked about it in the past on locked on nhl but obviously before severson they got ivan provorov so uh in in terms of just getting provorov and severson not what i had personally on my radar but it's a it's pretty solid for them because both of them not spectacular but solid when it comes to uh, the uh, a hockey standpoint. So I, I'm happy for Severson. He deserves to get paid. He deserved his pay raise, but ultimately his role just diminished with the Devils organization. I still think he could be a top four defenseman. Obviously, he's listed as an offensive minded defenseman, but given Dougie Hamilton, Ryan Graves, and their roles with the organization, Severson was just unfortunately just thrusted out of that top four uh, defenseman slot. And that's why he was paired alongside with someone like Kevin Ball during the playoffs and for a good chunk of the season because Severson was unfortunately on that third defensive line pairing. You talked a little bit about Timo Meyer. What do you think it will take to get him signed to a long-term deal? And what would you place the odds are that he does sign a, a long-term deal this offseason as opposed to going forward with the arbitration? Well, Fitzgerald in his recent media availability seemed rather confident. And when we were speaking to him, he said that the goal is to re-sign him to eight years. And I think it's going to be the same thing as Brat's uh, circumstance, which is 
Where do you agree on financially? Now, for the, the goal for Brat, like I said moments ago, was to make sure that he re-signed under $8 million, that huge threshold. However, for Meyer's sake, because he's such a unique player, because not only is he able to score, he's able to provide toughness, he's playing in front of the net, he's using his strength to his advantage. Obviously, uh, he was a big help on the power play for the Devils. I, I am willing to go over $8 million annually for Timo Meyer because if you think about it, last offseason, the Devils were interested in Matthew Kachuk and also Johnny Goodrow. Hypothetically, if both those players were on the Devils roster, they would have been making more than Jack Hughes. And for the time being, Dougie Hamilton is making more money annually than Jack Hughes. So I know Tom Fitzgerald was said that the goal was to make sure that uh, no Ford surpass Hughes and his annual salary. But I'm okay to do it for someone like Meyer just because he's such a unique player. We really need his his grittiness. We need his toughness. We need his physicality. And he's a 40-goal scorer. He's capable of doing it. So a player of his caliber doesn't come around too often. So uh, for Meyer, it's just a matter of, like, how much does he want to get paid annually? And like I said, after the first domino piece has fallen with Jesper Bratt, now it, it, it gives Fitzgerald more room because now the Devils have $26.4 million in cap space available to try to negotiate something because prior to Brad signing his extension, they had $34 million in cap space available. So Meyer will be back in a devil sweater for how long and for how much we're just going to have to wait and see. But Fitzgerald seemed very confident when speaking to the media media and updating us in regard to Meyer and his contract situation. And for what it's worth, Meyer was working out in some devil's gear just a few days ago. Normally, I take that stuff with a grain of salt. But just to give you guys some, I guess, insight, because people were making the rumors saying that Meyer didn't seem too happy with the devil's organization. I talked about, to him about how he felt like his skill set was utilized throughout the course of the year because when he left the San Jose Sharks, the scoring numbers went down. However, his physicality, his aggression – and just his overall assertiveness was definitely a big X factor for the Devils in the playoffs and to finish out the rest of the regular season. All right, Trey, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they can find the podcast and where they can find you on social media? You can find me at Trey Matt four T R E Y M A T T and the number four, and you can find Locked On Devils wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, like Gil said at the top of this recording, uh, we're available on Sirius XM now. And also subscribe to Locked On Devils on YouTube. As All for the right. show, you can find it at Locked On Devils. Very good. Trey, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Gil. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the host of Locked On Wild, Seth Tupel. And Seth, I know this is not the easiest offseason so far in Minnesota, but uh Let's start with this. Uh, Matt Dumba not going to be back, most likely. How does the team replace his productivity and his leadership? Well, this is like when you go to the grocery store and you don't have, you're going to be shopping on a budget and you thought you had 20 bucks, but you go to your wallet and it turns out you have a $5 bill. <laughs> so it's going to be a tight offseason money wise and Matt Dumba is one of the biggest dominoes to fall he has been up and down over the last few years obviously the uh, the fight 
that he had with uh, one of the Kachuk brothers a few years ago seemed to really turn him into a different player that just wasn't capable of being the threat offensively that he used to be. But it seemed like this year down the stretch, he finally kind of figured out how to be more of a defensive defenseman by being more physical, throwing his body around, but also just being more responsible, like kind of stepping up to try to be more aware of what was going on on defense than he had been in the past. And it led to him playing some of the best hockey that he's played in the last few years. Now, there just there isn't money to make something work with Dumba unless he comes back at an extreme discount. So it's likely that he is going to be heading somewhere else because another team, preferably one uh, closer to home for him, although Minnesota is not terribly far away. He is uh, originally from, I believe, Calgary. So Minnesota is not terribly far away compared to some other places, but there'll be teams that'll be able to offer him a lot in terms of AAV and term as well. I would imagine he'd get a two or a three-year deal or maybe even a four-year deal from somebody on the open market. So it's at this point, it's about a 99.99% chance that uh, he is gone. And so the big question becomes, how do you fill that spot in the lineup? Well, Fortunately enough for the Minnesota Wild, they have a guy who played in the postseason in Brock Faber that is going to slot in the rookie defenseman, uh, one of the most decorated skaters from the uh, University of Minnesota. He ends up uh, being a part of the Kevin Fiala trade and then gets that cup of tea at the end of the year. He immediately replaces John Merrill in the lineup for the postseason. And he played well. He played very well, considering that uh, he had played like five games before the postseason. And so the hope is that he will be able to slot into that spot. Now, he's not as offense-oriented as Dumba was, but he is very sound defensively and looked like a guy who had played in the league for like 10 years when he came in. So... The Wild are obviously very confident in his ability to fill that spot. And I think by putting him on that second pairing with Jonas Brodeen, you have a guy who is more than capable of helping out because you're not going to, not every rookie, and not saying that Faber can't, but not every rookie is going to come in and just look the part immediately off the bat. There are going to be some growing pains. And the only way for young players to learn how to do it is a theme that I have been throwing out on Lockdown Wild quite a bit recently, is learning through failure. And so Faber kind of taking some of those things in stride as they happen, some of those lapses defensively. um, Jonas Brodeen is not a bad option to have to uh, help kind of mitigate some of that. So I'm really excited to see what that pairing will be able to do. And so that's one where I think the Wilds kind of lucked out in that they have a pretty logical successor that can come in and fill that spot. And some of the other special teams things, Dumbo is more of a power play guy up until the last couple of years. And so you don't have to necessarily worry about filling all of those spots. It's more so just his his on-ice minutes. And so I think Faber is going to be able to uh, hopefully fill pretty much all of that right off the get-go. 
I know this team has a lot of restricted free agents. What's the priority as far as trying to bring them back is concerned? Well, obviously, Philip Gustafson is the biggest domino, and it feels like his has to be solved before any of the others can kind of get going. Although, ironically, it sounded like there was potential that Brandon Duhame's deal could get done relatively soon. I would say in terms of importance, it's Gustafson and then everybody else. I would love to have Brandon Duhame back because I think he brings a nice spark. He brings great physicality, and he's kind of a high-energy, high-motor guy that I think the team really uh, feeds off of. So I'd like to have him back as well. But beyond that, I don't see a ton of money available to um, sign like Gustav Nyquist, for instance, who was a trade deadline acquisition and looked really, really good with the team in the postseason. I think he's going to get more money elsewhere. Uh, John Klingberg, probably same story. Um, Oscar Sundquist, I would have loved to have seen him play more in the postseason other than just the one game. But same story there. I think these guys will be able to find bigger deals elsewhere. And so it really comes down to just trying to retain the restricted free agents. And with the fact that they have the rights to guys like Gustafson and Duhame, that allows you the opportunity to kind of push things down the line, maybe by a year, by just going to arbitration. I don't know that you necessarily want to do that, but you can if you need to. But beyond that, it's going to be a lot of retain. And then spots where they aren't able to sign free agents, it'll be promote and elevate from Iowa to fill some of those spots. And any player or players off the top of your head who from Iowa you think would fit that bill? Well, the big one is going to be Marco Rossi, who was uh, with Iowa for pretty much the entire season last year. He added some grittiness to his game this past year, which was what the wild coaching staff wanted him to do. It feels like there's going to be a spot for him somewhere on this roster. Cause another guy that you have that's a restricted free agent is Sam Steele, who was one of the uh, predominant centers for this team. Maybe he ends up getting moved to free up a spot, but I feel like with, with Rossi's pedigree as a prospect, this is a year where you kind of want to see what you have with him. And so he would be one name to come up and to fill a spot. Beyond that, guys like Adam Beckman would be another one who I think uh, could fill in in the bottom six for now. He looked pretty good in his call-ups um, early on in the season. So he could be another name that sees some time. The other interesting one will be Jesper Volstead, who is uh, the goalie of the future. And now that he's gotten a full year in his belt in Iowa, is he potentially, if there's a long-term injury to Marc-Andre Fleury or to Philip Gustafson after he's retained, is he potentially the long-term option if somebody gets hurt? Uh, that'll be an interesting question to, uh, to see if that plays out through the season too. Sounds like uh, an interesting off-season ahead. Seth, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? I'll start with my Twitter account, which is uh, at Seth, T-O-U-P-S. You can follow any of my sports, general sports knowledge, mostly wild content these days, although uh, a little slower here in the offseason. But you can follow me there. You can follow the show at Locked on Wild on 
pretty much every social media. I think we lucked out and got locked on wild for all of them. So uh, just search locked on wild, follow us on YouTube, on your favorite podcast platforms, and uh, we'll guide you through the off season up to the draft. And after that, I would imagine we'll start to see some things happen. <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> Seth, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to thank everyone once again for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Every day, as we will be bringing you the biggest stories from around the National Hockey League throughout the offseason draft just a week away. So make sure you stay with us for that. I want to thank my guests, Chris Golick of Locked On VGK, Trey Matthews of Locked On New Jersey Devils, and Seth Tupel of Locked On Wild. I'm Gil Martin. I am here every Monday hosting the Locked On NHL podcast, and I co-host the Friday edition of the show along with Rachel Donner. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe, and thanks so much for listening to the Locked On NHL podcast.